Well, hello there, and thank you so much for joining me once again on Let the Healing Begin. I am your host, Asia, and I want to take a moment um, to thank all of you for joining me, taking time out of your day, out of your busy lives and schedules. Um, You can be anywhere in the world, but you are here with me, and so for that, I am very grateful. Um, We're going to be doing something different today, you guys. Today, we will be having our first ever guest on the show. Um, His name is John Katz. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Okay, thank you. (laughs) And so he's going to give us a nice rundown um, of of who he is and what he's about and what he stands for and and just talk about his life overall. Um, And so so how are you today, John? I'm doing well. Yeah, really well, and I'm happy to be here. And the name of your show is very appropriate to my own path. In order to let my own healing begin, I had to come to terms with so much that I had done and experienced and been around. And a lot of people that, that are struggling refuse to let the healing begin because they're still in denial about a lot of things they went through and that they did themselves. And I'm not in denial about any part of my past. And it's really kind of our past that too many of us hew to and let define us in a negative way. I let my past define me in a positive way. I use it as a lever, a springboard forward to let the healing begin. So I grew up in New York City. I had a you know, not economically disadvantaged childhood on uh, the Upper West Side of Manhattan Island. However, there was a fair bit of chaos in my household growing up, which resulted from uh, neither one of my parents really having let their own healing begin. And I don't posit myself as a victim of this or anything else. But growing up, I often felt like things were out of control around me. I was also attending high school very close to the World Trade Center on 9-11. In fact, I was so close to it that when my school was evacuated, we were on the street just moments before the second tower fell, which is something I observed. So these chaotic events at home and the chaos of 9-11, the idea that things were just not right, you know, a lot of tension at home and a relationship that wasn't really good between my folks showed me a number of negative uh, examples of behavior. And as I aged and got around people using drugs and drinking, it just became what I did as a natural course of things. I followed the typical path of a lot of people in over-consuming of alcohol and drugs, eventually of sleeping around and of overeating. And these things are all very wounding. It's only a liar would say that it's healthy to engage in these numbing behaviors. Only someone running from themselves would try to justify it. I always thought the sober people were the weirdest people in the room while I was totally messed up on God knows how many intoxicants. So I was the, the true weirdo. And these are all very wounding things. These are damaging things. We're damaging our bodies when we're overweight. I made myself extremely overweight through this behavior. We're damaging our bodies through the ingestion of t- intoxicants. I made myself extremely damaged you know, through my drug use. And we're damaging each other. I was not good in my relationships. And as we damage each other it's the self that's actually wounded that's where the healing needed to start and things compounded and grew and built on themselves until about two and a half years ago maybe two years three months ago when i had driven myself to such a point of deep negativity that i was actively considering suicide 
this was 20 years of poor decisions. I started drinking around 14 and smoking weed shortly thereafter. And, you know, until I was 34, I was a habitual substance user, alcohol drinker, overeater. That was a really major issue. Uh, if you look at my before pictures, you can see exactly how. I think I was clinically obese at the time. And then the negative stuff in my relationships, my short-term hookups, and then in my so-called committed relationships, I wasn't committed at all. And, and these are all very wounding things. We're hurting other people when we engage in these behaviors. And naturally, we can't hurt other people without hurting ourselves. So I was very wounded. And when I was considering killing myself, I ultimately made the choice not to because of my family. I had some loyalty there, even though I heavily resented them for whatever I had, you know, was presented to me as a kid, I still found a way to pull back from that place of darkness. And I did so by reaching out to someone who had been through something very, very, very serious, who had incurred a lot of pain himself and was able to transform his mind and body with that pain and also help others to do it. And I engaged in a program to do the same, to transform my mind and body. And I was so successful in doing so. I was so abundant in my self-creation and my rebirth and my healing that I'm now doing the same for others uh, as an online coach and that's my background in a nutshell um can i ask you something so with the whole 9-11 situation um do you feel like that had a traumatic event to where it um like it was so traumatic to where you carry that on throughout life too i've shed a lot of that trauma but for a while it hung over me like a cloud the real thing that I learned from that now that I do carry with me or that I had carried with me for a while is that things cannot always work out. If you think about a child being exposed to such an event, the story that that tells is no matter what, you cannot be protected from negativity. I mean, what was everyone doing to stop this from happening? I mean, it would have been impossible to predict. But for a while, I felt like a victim. I felt that somehow the lack of protection from this traumatic event was something to blame the government apparatus or society at large or whatever it is. Now I understand that painful acts occur every day. People that don't deserve these painful acts are exposed to them. And the issue is that the adults around at the time really had no idea what they were doing. It was very clear that they all were as weak-minded as the kids and didn't really know how to help us process because most people, most adults haven't healed themselves. So how on earth is someone that hasn't healed themselves going to offer healing for the kids? And there was a ton of drama. Like There was a lot of drama amongst the parents about how to proceed. There was drama between the parents and the government apparatus and the school apparatus. It was a bunch of kids essentially trying to manage the situation. Most adults that I know, most adults that you know, are just grown kids. They are not actually fully formed adults. They are just, their trauma occurred at whatever time. Let's say I was a 15 year old because whatever my trauma occurred at 15 and I just carried that with me until I was 34. Most adults, you can see exactly how old they are mentally by the manner in which they conduct themselves and what when their trauma occurred. That's a great question. Um, I don't really bear it with me anymore. It's not painful. I used to have a lot of pretty emotional reactions to seeing footage of the towers being hit or the towers falling. You know, I, I burned that out of my, my heart a long time ago. It, it doesn't affect me. Okay. Thank you for answering that. Um, and then also, so to piggyback a little bit off of what you said as far as like um, trauma happening to people and we kind of like just, we wallow in that and we like grow on top of this traumatized soil. Um, into who we are today and you don't really always realize how traumatized you are until you get ready to step out of it um because like me personally um the the line of work that i've been in 
Um, and I announced on the show too that I am formerly incarcerated myself um, and I didn't realize how traumatized I was from my upbringing and just the different abuse and the, the, the neglect and just different situations that I had gone through until I started to heal. Um, and a lot of those things began to resurface all over again. Um, so, um, like you said, um, trauma isn't really dealt with until we're ready to deal with it. It just kind of like snowballs into something bigger. How did you begin your own healing process? Um, well, I, I hit like rock bottom in drugs and alcohol. Um, and when I was at the height of my addiction, like I knew that I couldn't do that forever. I'm like, it's only two ways out of this. It's either I go to jail again for a long time or either I end up dead. And so I'm like, something has to give. Um, and I started noticing like, I had so much heavy drug use and alcohol use. It had gotten to the point where on days when I would say, oh, I'm not gonna use today, I would literally feel sick. And so I'm like, this is not the life that I wanna live. Um, and I just could not pick myself up from an, like an emotional and mental standpoint either because of about three years ago, I lost my mother suddenly, shortly after I was released from my incarceration. Um, and so trying to grieve and also just a lot of things that I had dealt with from the past that I hadn't really dealt with. I got sick and tired of being in that state of mind um, because I'm also a parent as well, like a single parent. So I'm like, this is so unfair to my child. Um, something has to give. And so I started, me personally, I started going to church, reading the Bible and stuff like that. And I begged and pleaded God, Lord, what do I need to do to to get healing and the first thing that he told me to do was start to forgive people that had that had hurt me in the past and so I really backtracked and thought of every situation that was hurtful to me and like really and some people I had to like really like go over this for a few days you know even situations um that I kind of like just washed my hands with I had to retract and even forgive those people and I even reached out, God had me reach out to those people and apologize for dealing with them in an unforgiving manner. And when I say since I've done that, that's, been, that's really beautiful. Yeah, it's just been a natural healing that has went on and it's helped me to help other people that are, you know, going through the same things as myself. Yep, that's absolutely. very intense. I think one of the most power, powerful phrases I learned is that forgiveness is for the forgiver, not the forgiven. And that was before I got healthy and before I turned my life around, that was impossible for me to understand. I was holding so much resentment and resentments are like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Like th these are absurd things, you know, you hold that in and hold it in and you think the other person cares. They don't give, they don't give, they don't care. You holding that in makes it closer to you. You carry yourself everywhere you go. So trying to export negativity to someone else by holding negativity internally is absurd. It's, it's absurd. And I did that for so long. And it wasn't until I began to forgive others that I was able to move forward. But I couldn't forgive others until I forgave myself. And I couldn't forgive myself until I stopped taking acts that merited self-forgiveness. That's a, a lot of people's big issue is they continue to accrue this karmic debt and need self-forgiveness. So how on earth are they going to forgive others if the mountain is building? So what people need to do and what you and I have done is stop committing the acts that necessitate self-forgiveness 
And then you can actually look at the forgiveness pile of others and work through that. But it starts with changing ourselves. We change ourselves so we are no longer committing acts that need self-forgiveness. And then we can start working on forgiving others. And once we forgive others, that's when the door to gratitude opens and we can actually proceed with our life. Absolutely. And so another thing that I've noticed too is like, not only forgiving ourselves for the things that we've done, but also, you know, some of us carry the weight of things that have happened to us too. Forgiving ourselves um, for things that have happened because some people may feel like guilty or feel shame and carry that around as a burden too. Um, So like you said, forgiving ourselves. And then also like once we can work this out within self because everything starts within self you know we have to build the foundation with self and build a relationship with ourselves to be able to you know extract that into other people's lives um oftentimes when I talk to clients and stuff like that about forgiveness I express that you know when you are carrying around this baggage it's like invisible baggage when you're carrying around these you know these um, grudges and things like that it's like packing a person into a, a suitcase and carrying them around every day all day with you And, you know, usually people are like, that's pretty heavy, you know? And so, like you said, everything starts within self. Absolutely. And it is so obvious when someone is, it is so obvious when someone is carrying that baggage. Put me in a room with someone, I'm sure yourself as well, put me in a room with someone for 30 seconds and I can see you have resentments against your parents, you have resentments against some whatever it is it's very very clear you're carrying baggage when i meet because a lot of my clients you know we operate in very different spheres let's just make that clear a lot of my clients the biggest issue for them is overeating and being overweight or obese and time and time again the person that is attempting to fill the hole inside with food did not get what they needed or had something taken from them it's every time and the alcoholic that because i deal with them all the time is often filling that void that was left when someone left them. That's what I find with alcoholics across the board. They're carrying the weight, typically a parent or a significant other of this person that left them and they fill that with booze. So this is baggage, baggage, baggage. Like, like I like what you said, you put them in a bag and carry them around. And then on top of that, you then try to fill. I was on a podcast recently and, and the interviewer said, it's being an alcoholic or sleeping around is like trying to fill a void with a hole. And that does not work. You cannot do that. Um, and people's, ba- I had to shed all this baggage and I was so wrapped up. I had this story in my head of self-victimization and lack of forgiveness for other people that made me do things that were totally unforgivable. Eventually I did forgive myself, but it's amazing how we get wrapped up in this self-defeating story, continue to accumulate negativity and wonder why we feel like crap. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know what? Um, I just lost my whole train of thought. So let me ask you this. Growing up, um, I know that you said you had resentment towards your parents. Um, There's two questions. Why is that? And then also, did you have parents that um, would partake in drugs and alcohol? They were not, they did not use drugs and alcohol. So when I, my resentments against my parents, I don't like to play the pain Olympics. I don't like to compare pain. I don't like to do any of that. I'll just share that one of my parents was extremely overweight, anxious and depressed long spells of being in bed and uh the other one was often absent through his involvement in um in a group outside of the family that's probably the best way to put it and both of those sides stem from unresolved pain in their life and now finally i can say and see that their pain is what manifested those acts you know when i was 
before and blaming others, I put it on them. I now realize that nobody acts like that if they're okay inside. Nobody acts like that if they have moved through their own childhood trauma. Nobody acts like that if they are a fully functioning adult. But I blame them for exposing me to a pretty lot of negative events. Nobody wants to see their parents not liking each other, screaming at each other, being in bed forever, and like not being good versions of themselves because they can't properly express themselves. Neither one of them was instructed on how to express themselves. So when they got together, they couldn't express themselves and it just created chaos in the household, like a real chaotic home environment. Now, it's not the same as using drugs and alcohol, sexual abuse, or any of the physical abuse that so many people deal with. But this is the chaos that I dealt with. This is what caused chaos in my mind. So this is what I'm qualified to speak on. And then because of that chaos in my mind, then I thought, I realized, okay, well, if I drink or use drugs or hook up, I can actually escape this chaos and like, this is pretty cool. Then you wake up in the morning and you hate yourself and you're fatter and more addicted and you're a broker and your job sucks even more and your life sucks even more. And then you go and you do it again and then you realize you can't outrun it. But yeah, that was the that was the scenario I was brought up in. It was just chaotic and I'm real, I'm so sensitive. I internalized a lot of that chaos real early on. Now let me ask you this. Um, like when you were having to go through all that in your life, what was your outlet before you were able to start using drugs and alcohol? Oh, I just shut down. I had no outlet. I, I always read a lot as a kid, but I had no outlet. I learned very early on to just shut down. That was my coping mechanism. Just pretend as if everything's okay and just not acknowledge what's happening. I didn't really know how to, and I just, yeah, just shut down. Did you have, do you have siblings? Older brother, yeah. Now, have you guys ever talked about um, how it's affected you together or how has that went? Yeah, but he is, he's also going through it. You know, he suffers from anxiety and a lot of untreated stuff. And it's difficult for me to, it's actually, it's kind of tough for me outside of this environment from knowledge seekers and, and people on social media and the, my clients that find me and the people that resonate with the image. It's actually kind of tough to, to deal with close family members because they're involved in the whole meta narrative of it. And it's, you know, I definitely have chatted with him, but his experience was different. And he actually grapples with, he is not really working on himself to the degree that he could and should. So it's tough to find someone, you know, when I'm on this path of healing and healing others that isn't really interested in being healed or might only use the words, yes, I'm interested in being, and this is so common. People know inside and tell themselves, I would do anything to feel different. But when they come around a message of someone saying, hey, you can do this to feel different, then they say, well, I don't want to do that. And that's something that I've run into a lot. And you know what? I totally agree because I have people in my family that way. And it's, it's, it's so hard to deal with. Um, and it's like, you kind of you kind of get stuck between, do I keep trying to pry at this block that they're hiding behind, or do I do what's best for me, which is ultimately continue on my healing journey because I have to keep going. This, you know, this healing journey is like, a, it's a lifestyle and it has, it's continuous. It does not stop. Um, and personally, like on my healing journey, it has been just a, like an uphill battle. Um, it's like, once you heal from one thing, then something else resurfaced. Things that you didn't even know were lying dormant um, over the years. So it's like, um, how do you feel? Do you feel like you want to keep throwing ideas out there for him or keep trying to grab his hand and, and bring him on the journey? Or do you kind of just let him do his own thing? 
to lower yourself to to accommodate people's weakness and their shortcomings is to make yourself weaker and have shortcomings so i'm not going to the whole chasing thing my folks are actually way more receptive to me on this journey and they've done some work with me to try to come to terms with their own past and with you know with me and whatnot and you're right the path is perpetual as soon as you finish one thing there's something else that comes up but for people that aren't trying to heal the message if you're chasing them and forcing them you're trying to force an outcome that you're not in control of and this is this is the desire is suffering this is the buddhist tenet that when we desire something so much and we don't get our desired outcome there's a lot of pain there the best thing we can do is make ourselves the best version of ourselves through mindset training, through self-compassion, through self-love, through getting in shape, be the living example of something different, and then people will come to me. Nobody wanted to hear what I had to say about mental health until I was no longer mentally ill. Nobody wanted to hear what I had to say about fitness until I was no longer fat. Nobody wanted to hear what I had to say about healing family resentments until I healed a lot of the family resentments I had with my parents. So this is all about living, being the living example through lived experience. And if we aren't doing that, then people aren't going to want to listen to us. And honestly, a lot of people, especially those that are made from the same genetic material as us, they carry the same wounds that we do, a lot of the same problems. And if they haven't worked to heal, then why try to force something that isn't there? That that That's my advice. When people come to me, I want my people to change. In order for your people to change, you have to change so dramatically that they come to you. You have to look so different that unfortunately, because we're visual creatures, it really is about the way we look. I looked a certain way and I brought that energy to me and my family. Then I did a number of things that made me look this way and I'm able to bring a different set of energy. And anybody who says it isn't about the way we look, is either lying or has been in shape their whole life. I'm qualified to say it is about the way we look because I looked a certain way and I felt a certain way and people felt a certain way about me. And now I look a certain way and I feel a certain way and people feel a certain way about me. And that's the bottom line. There's no there's no two ways about it. And for people in your life and anyone else who's listening, if, you're, if you want those people to change, you have to change so drastically first. Absolutely. Um- And, you know, it's something that someone said a few weeks ago in regards to kind of like what you just said, like people have to see it to believe it. Um, It has to be to a point where um, you're making such a drastic change that people are inspired and they're like, you know, what what is it that you're doing? I want in on it. Um, Because that's like you said, you were human beings and everything is like visual. We want to see it to know that it's tangible to then further take action on it. So that's really true. Um, okay, so another thing, when you said when you squashed the whole resentment thing with your parents, what steps did you take in order to do that, and how did they, um, how did they feel about it? I had to learn where pain comes from. Pain and karmic debt comes from the self. We bring that to ourselves, and then we bring it to others. So if I felt that from them, I must have thought, I mu- I, what I realized was that their pain was an externalization of what had been done to them. Right. So that that was me being honest. And how did they how did they react to it when you were expressing these things? Oh, they were shocked. I mean, they were shocked. They didn't know I was suicidal. They didn't know any of these things. But as I began to walk my own healing journey and heal myself and then acknowledge their pain, I made it that I understand that you were and still are in pain. It was no longer about me. And when you live openly, when you live outwardly when you live in a giving state and I was giving them my attention and giving them my acknowledgement instead of taking 
my resentments out on them and taking, I would lash out all the time. I was awful around them. Then they began to be open to heal because I was willing to give love and compassion to people that I was had before only been giving resentments. That's that's what it that's what did it in it was once you know yourself well you know everyone else and i know myself extremely well so i know that my negativity anxiety depression obesity and negative self-talk externalized hurt others so if i know that i hurt others then if others hurt me if my folks i don't even want to say because it, it puts me in the victim in in the in the passenger seat if if there was negativity that i experienced it was because the person that was negative around me experienced negativity and that's that's the best way to think about it and then if that's true how on earth are you going to blame someone for something that was done to them like that's nuts and that's what i did i blamed others for things that they had endured yeah that is rough that's really rough um so back up a little bit so when it comes to drugs and alcohol which would you say came first like Give us the rundown on your first experience with drugs and alcohol. Drank at 14, started smoking weed shortly thereafter, got into mushrooms, maybe 15, uh, acid in college, uh, coke in college, pills, college. I stopped short of the needle, which is good. Uh, I never smoked crack no PCP, but drugs and alcohol were a very frequent player in my life. Especially, I would go to these raves, these real late night parties where the focus was essentially to get as obliterated as possible. And so I'd engage in these absurd behaviors and just totally lose control. And it, it was to it was sick, it was satanic, it was awful. And I never considered myself addict in the clinical sense but I was definitely addicted to the feeling of letting go I was definitely and I was addicted to comfort like a real comfortable but painful existence those are the things that I was addicted to the drugs and alcohol abuse were just an escape for me I mean I my rock bottom was a mental rock bottom that occurred because of all these negative things I was doing so I would drink some garbage amount and then go and do some other drugs and just try to forget myself that's really i would every night when i went out if i was going out i wanted to push myself past the point of no return drink to lose control try to lose my my mind's control over my body but i was just losing my own self in this thing um you know i did some weird other drugs and just like i didn't care i would just do whatever just to because I felt like it and it was horrible and it did horrible things in my mind and body. I, I I took uh, acid every day for a week straight or eight days straight or something. I, I'm certain it permanently altered my brain chemistry. There's no way around it. I, I, did, I did messed up things to my brain. There's no doubt that my drug use permanently altered my brain chemistry. I'm sure of it. And you know what? <clears throat> I can not agree with like, um, oh, I know your brain is <laughs> fried or anything, but I too have a, a, a long history, a long deep history with um, drugs and alcohol. And I, I completely understand about the whole escape thing because it's like when you're in that buzz, you can kind of not care, you know, about anything else, like whatever, you know, you really don't care. You don't, you don't have a sound mind to make solid decisions or even to care for that matter. And so it's like, it's, it's that's one reason why it's, it's hard to 
shake the drugs and alcohol because if, if this is my escape to get away and not care then why return to Karen if I have this way out and it is societally accepted you walk down this street right here on the lower east side of Manhattan they just made weed legal essentially or on it's it is essentially legal so you can buy weed anywhere you can buy food anywhere like disgusting awful food and my i'm food waste coaching because food is for me the fundamental aspect of changing our lives alcohol everywhere and it's totally accepted it's weird that us on i take it you're sober now completely right Absolutely. it's it's it's, it's, it's interesting that the abstinent individual is the outlier in society that you and i are walking a path of uncommon behavior where it is the common behavior to kill your brain cells, numb yourself, and engage in activity that is the most destructive thing in this country. Automobile accidents from inebriated driving, heart, lung issues from smoking and overeating, cancer from overeating, just straight up ODing from various narcotics. How about getting addicted to prescription drugs that every um, nurse, practitioner, and doctor will want to give you. So I was chatting with someone yesterday. This one is crazy. And this person said that their nurse asked them, you know, do you have anxiety? She said, yes. Well, are you on anxiety medication? She said, no. And the nurse said, how are you surviving? But the real question is, how are you surviving? Meaning the medical industry. That's what she was saying. How are we going to survive if people with anxiety are not being prescribed these highly addictive brain altering drugs and it's so it's it is it speaks volumes that when i was sick i thought of sober people as the weirdos i was a typical normal messed up depressed anxious overweight alcohol and drug user and i thought the sober people were weird now that i'm doing this and i think back to my days at the rave collapsed in the corner literally i i my legs went out from under me i had one of them another one i was crying i had a bad trip and I went to a dark place and I started, like I burst into tears, I was losing control, like totally sobbing, like the wildest thing you can imagine. That's the strangest man on earth. I was the strangest man on earth, trying to do strange things with strange people at strange times in strange places because of drugs. And that is okay. Oh, you went to a wild party in New Orleans. Okay, that's cool, that's accepted. Oh, but John gets up early and works out and eats right and doesn't smoke or drink. That's that's odd. And who has time for that? Like the abundant man or, or woman, the abundant person who's truly present for their life is working on building all the time. I take it you're always building, building relationships, building content, building love for yourself, acceptance for others. You're working with some very interesting individuals I'm sure need a lot of building, right? As, as we both are, who can do that? It's just society that says TGIF, there's Thirsty Thursday, happy hour. Yes. Like these things drive me crazy. <laughs> I always talk about our sick society. I, I've cut a lot of content about this sick society and the way that this society has crafted language. I'm also, I was in the past, before I started doing this, I was very heavy in the literature and linguistics and the academic side. And now that I actually live and I'm not overweight reading all the time, I've merged the two and the two sides have informed me that the sick society is insane. Thirsty Thursday, TGIF, AKA time to start your alcoholic binge, going out on Saturday. And then you're just in a massive state of regret on Sunday and Monday. Oh, happy Monday. Like that is, I come from, I, my last major job was a white collar tech firm. Fortunately, now I work in local food, which is a passion of mine. But my last job was at a white collar tech firm and I would hear happy Monday all the time. And happy Monday means I'm ungrateful for my life and my job. Happy Monday means I'm hungover. 
every time I wanted to slap them and say, dude, you work for a multinational tech company. You are an overpaid white collar tech worker. You don't even have to go into work because we work, work remotely. And you have the gall to come on this call with your camera off and say, happy Monday. This is the world of abstraction that I live in, in New York City. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. The world that I'm of in is one that is from darkness into light. It is healing people and working with people that are dealing with massive issues. People in this New York City world, they live in a total world of abstraction. And I was there too. I did not want to go back to work on Monday. I was using every weekend. The Coke dealer shows up to your apartment in Manhattan, by the way. He drives a nice car to your home and delivers you your bag of drugs. And it's just sickening. This society has accepted these heinous behaviors as, oh, just, Little boy's night out, aka cheat on your girlfriend. Oh, like, little trip to Vegas, little this, little that. Oh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. You dumbass carries it with you for the rest of your life and you die with it. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I worked in New Orleans. My uh, my second home was in New Orleans. I, I went to school there and I was there for a decade after, you know, continuing to run for myself. And the amount of disgusting behavior I saw there could fill a hundred books. I was managing a restaurant. I worked as a catering hand. I did I did a number of, of, of jobs that befit my stature. Not that there was anything wrong with working in the service industry. I want to make that abundantly clear. Waiting tables is nothing to be ashamed of. But I didn't want to wait tables. I had to because I was limiting myself in what was possible with my life. But don't get it twisted. The bus, some of the buses I worked with had more moral, moral character than a lot of the white collar tech workers I worked with. So don't anyone listening don't think I have anything bad to say about that part of the service industry but I didn't want to do it I was just in it because I had to because I wasn't really working super hard and the amount of sin and degenerate behavior that I saw and engaged in in New Orleans was sickening these people actually thought that they had a second life when they came to New Orleans for Mardi Gras and would do these insane behaviors in public and I know they went back to wherever they lived and like it happened happened yeah and you know what <clears throat> I um just recently, well, I'm finishing up sociology in school right now, and it's crazy that the way that they have, you know, so, like society is really set up a specific like type of way. And like you said, like back when I was in my drug and alcohol use, because I was a user of cocaine and amongst other things, I've tried shrooms, I've tried, you know, the prescription drugs, all types of different things. Um, Back then, I would sit back and look at the sober people in the room and just like, how can you party and not get drunk or not, you know, get buzzed? And now it's like, now I'm on this side of things. Now that I'm actually sober, I actually love the way that my life is. And like you said, I'm always building. I'm always doing something. Now I'm feeling like 24 hours is not even enough time in one day because I'm always, you know, on the go, always trying to build, always, you know, um, just trying to add value to my life and the li and also the lives of others. And so it's like, I don't even have time to be hungover now. Like, you know, I, I miss one day at work. Oh man, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm behind in a whole year. Can you imagine waking up with a hangover? I, I, I can, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I do not know how to do that. I see people goggle-eyed at brunch or at happy hour or whatever i try not to actually get this go in the street after like 5 p.m in in lower manhattan it's it's a, it's zombie land but the i wake up with a hangover now i it's like it's it's incomprehensible what would have to go into that the poor decision making that would have to go into me breaking my sobriety is beyond comprehension i will never drink again i love saying that i hope everyone in the world <laughs> sees this video i want all 
I was it seven billion, eight billion people to see me say, I will never drink again, <laughs> ever. So and that, that's the most empowering feeling to say, I'll never do this thing again and actually stick to it. When so many people are so weak, their word means nothing to them. My word means, used to mean nothing to me. Yeah, honey, I was out with the boys. Yeah, of course I'm fully committed. Yeah, I, I wanna be with you forever. Yeah, I'm not gonna eat that. Yeah, I'm not gonna drink that. My word used to mean nothing. And for me to say, I will never drink again is the most empowering feeling. And actually like mean it and have let it have some meaning to it. Let me ask you this. So how long have you been clean? January uh, 19th, 2021. Congratulations. So let me ask you something else. Yeah, man. What do you think um, actually like drew the line in the sand for you? And what made you want to get sober, like officially? I was just, I finally realized that I was the cause of and solution to all of my problems. You know, after blaming and blaming and running and hiding and hating, I thought I need to start taking accountability and loving and being. And I have a life to lead and I have a little nephew. You know, I have people I can't be out disrespecting people that I'm trying to be with. Like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. It was a, a moment of clarity. I don't want to kill myself. I want to live. I want to give. But it was it was slow coming. I had to do a lot of work, you know, starting out that I don't know how painful your return to normalcy was, but your boy was in tears during his workouts for like months. And that's not an exaggeration. So I work out every morning and I was in tears, crying, tears of processing of honesty and pain and real life for months months now i don't even know if i have the ability to cry i was talking about this recently i'm not sure what could bring me to tears at this point i i don't really know i think i burned that part out of me i was thinking maybe if i get married and have kids if, if you know the universe wills it you know either part or both parts of those and neither neither is guaranteed i have no if that were to occur in my life, which would be welcome, and if it, if it wasn't to occur, that would also be welcome. I think perhaps then I could shed a tear, but at this point, I don't know what can make me cry, but for months on end, every morning, the pain of the workout, the pain of honesty, of accepting everything I had done and starting to forgive myself and knowing that I had to apologize to others, which I ultimately did, oh, that was painful, painful. But I had run for 20 years, you know? I could deal with a few months of that pain. I was talking about, something I, I enjoy speaking of the different types of pain the pain that i knew really well when i was living dark was the pain of regret mm. i think that's i think that's probably the worst pain pain of shame guilt regret and then as we process through it the pain that i'm in now is the pain of awareness i know that there are millions or billions of people struggling with what i struggled with and that is very painful for me it's a totally different type of pain it's an outward pain like i understand that you all are in pain before it was very inward pain which is i can only feel the pain that i'm in and it was that painful initial painful period after i got clean was a mixture of the two it was coming to terms with what i had done to others and understanding that my lashing out and my loss of control and my lack of sobriety had hurt others so yes you are in pain but also realizing the wounds that it had caused in myself and i don't really have that pain of regret anymore thank the lord i do not have the pain of regret anymore but the pain of acceptance and the pain of awareness is something real i'm sure you feel it too the 
people you work with, I can't imagine what you have to see on a daily basis. Absolutely. And you know what? Like the, the whole pain of regret. I felt a lot of that um, during my addiction. I felt so much guilt and so much shame because it was like I was so stuck in that life because that was my only escape. I didn't know um, how to get out at that time. Like you said a moment ago, you don't know how long it's been since I've been in a normal life. This actually is like my first time actually being in a normal life. Like I started, I just was hurt a lot growing up. And so drugs and alcohol were at really young ages for me. And I just continued on and off, on and off. And the only time I would be clean is like, I didn't use when I was pregnant with my son or anything like that. But um, besides that, that in, and incarceration when I was incar- incarcerated and uh, outside of that it's really just been drugs on and off because that has been my only coping mechanism that I have been I wouldn't say taught because no one taught me but kind of like what I got a hold to and just like held on um, because <clears throat> I didn't have any uh, anybody else to hang on to you know so many people have left my life um, so in the midst of my drug addiction and things like that, I felt so much guilt and shame because it's like, I know what I went through as a kid. And so I feel, I felt so guilty about taking my son through, you know, any of that, you know, I was abused growing up. I I wasn't, I've never been abusive towards him, but just the the drugs and the alcohol, I know that the, the effects that it's had on me in my life and just my mental state, my emotional state. And now I don't have the guilt and the shame. It's more so like, it's just the, the pain of, I can't believe I wasted that much time, but I can't cry over spilled milk. And then it goes into the pain of seeing what other people have gone through um, and what they're going through and the fact that they are still stuck in this because not everybody has the willpower to get out or um, a support system or anything for that matter. And like you said, like with the clients, we initially do an intake process. And so some of those stories that those guys come in there with, um, I had one guy, he witnessed his dad commit suicide right in front of him at like eight years old, you know? And so it's things like that. And some things, some stories get a little more graphic than that. Some aren't that graphic, but they're still traumatizing. And it's like, now I'm in that pain where it's like, I can actually feel the hurt and the pain that these people are carrying around and they don't have an outlet to go pour this out you know no one to go pour it out to so it's like i'm trying to help them stay out of incarceration and help them heal these wounds that they're experiencing because i i, I, I mean yeah you you are on the front lines what what you're describing i hope everyone i'm sure your audience knows but outsiders obviously we're connected spiritually just in having this conversation but from someone that i think i've made it very clear where i come from and i don't just mean physically i mean someone where i come from hear this is just there's so many gratitude is is the baseline that everyone needs to experience and i know so many people and i'm going to include my former self as one of these people that are so ungrateful for what they have and when i hear things like what you're describing it makes me want to punch my old self in the face for crying about what he was crying about you are dealing with people whose parents killed themselves in front of them at age eight i also want to loop back a bit how old was your son when you uh, got clean permanently you know honestly so i just celebrated about one year of sobriety in march of this year so i started getting sober last year march of 22 so 
and like over the years so I just recently got divorced so I did have a, a like a helpmate that you know would step in when I because I was going through a lot of like postpartum depression and stuff um shortly about six months after I had him and I was not aware that it was postpartum depression um you know until I just I'm like what is going on I don't feel like myself I mean I would wake up out of my sleep crying and once again I go back to being to the you know to whatever is familiar and most comfortable with me which was drugs um and so in the midst of my drug use like I've, I've never used in front of my son or anything um I was in a two you know I had a spouse at that time so this person um you know kind of would enable me to a degree make it comfortable for me and it's not this person's fault I take sole responsibility for my actions because I am an adult and I did have the chance to make other choices but I was so wrapped up in drugs um you know it'll be sometimes it'll be a couple days when I will be out partying and two for a while like with the person that I was with I was hiding my drug use for a while like I would go to the nail shop and get my nails done and the girl that would do my nails you know when I would go over there we would get high together you know and use cocaine and my back at home my spouse is thinking I'm sleeping around and I'm not I'm just hiding this drug habit you know because I'm like I don't want this person to leave me up until one day this person actually called me um from out of town at a family reunion saying guess what I just did and I'm like what I tried powder and I'm like oh my goodness so from that point on I started doing it at home which was bad idea because that's when the height of the addiction came because now I can this, do it at home that's extremely grim now yeah. I'm, I'm I'm happy to hear that you're clean for over a year you know that's 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 massive and if you continue to walk this path whatever your kid did experience is no longer going to be that it's going to be my mom was this way and then she decided to heal and now she is this badass woman doing all of these things. I didn't realize your journey began so recently. Well, I, I I know it's going to continue for a long time and just know that you are continuing to write the good story instead of the one that you had been writing. That That's a lot. I Most of the people I, I find in this space are, I mean, not that it matters. You could be one day sober or 10,000, but typically when I'm connecting with people in this space, they're a bit farther along. But the fact that you speak with such, such conviction and are doing what we're doing right now does speak volumes and I, I was gonna say I hope it continues I mean it must continue you know that right like this can never end you this is a lifelong thing for you and you know we essentially got life sentences when we chose to turn our lives around but it's just a life sentence in the other way I know I have to be fully committed because I know how painful it is I, I can never return to the pit I can never return to that dark state I will make it I wouldn't be alive anymore if I went back I, I would not be, I, I, I don't, I couldn't hack it. And you know what, that's a, a thing that I was sharing with, um, so we do, in my job, we host AA groups on Monday and Friday, and that's one thing that I was sharing this morning. Um, I'm in a space where, because it wasn't cocaine that I'm, like, I stopped cocaine a few years ago, right? And I, I would dibble and dabble here and there, but like, over the last three years since my mother um, passed away, it's just like, I didn't want her to see me like and you know that type of lifestyle so then i started getting off into other drugs and so i like slowly stopped with the heart liquor but then i picked up beer um and it was still like the the pills you know and now i'm just too scared to even think about going back out there number one because like it's like i fought so hard to get up 
you know, out of that lifestyle. And so for me to double back, I feel like this is my last chance. Like, you know, I feel like God has given me a chance to turn my life around. And so I'm going to take it and run with it. Um, and then two, um, all the people that are connected to me, like, like you said, spiritually, um, that I have to stay in this life for because they'll have, they'll, they'll receive their breakthrough through someone like myself. And I say that from a humble space, but you know, that's just the way that it works. And so it's like, if I quit this, not only am I quitting on myself or my child, but all so many other people that are connected to me that need my breakthrough, which will turn into their breakthrough. The most selfish thing we can do is to give up on something that helps others. That's what it is. I mean, I, I mean I'm only, yeah, I, I, I'm blessed in the fact that I didn't have kids because had I been the version of myself that I was, I don't know if I'd be able to live with myself. And I'm not saying that you need to feel any type of way. I'm saying that it's actually more noble for you to have turned around because you have someone relying on you. You know, you have someone that, the old saying that kids don't always listen to their parents, but they always watch what they do. You know, it's totally accurate. And the fact that you, you know, this level of forthrightness and honesty speaks to your humility and your willingness to change and man that's a that's a tough one this is all so heavy people need to understand that their problems their small problems are nothing compared to what folks are really going through and have really brought into their lives and this is what we owe the world as healers is to not break our word not go back to old ways to not hurt ourselves and others and to just be honest and be real and to train you know mindset training the coaching program that i run is actual training you know you have to train your mind and your body to function a certain way or you will go back to society's way of functioning which is the death function and it's we just have a level of responsibility that most people are trying to escape okay um there was something else that i wanted to ask you too um i know you mentioned i know you mentioned um like about your experience with suicide so can you explain to us um like how you got there and what really stopped you from doing that just engage in a ton of negativity if you engage in negativity you become very negative and then you want to negate your existence so i was a negative person for a while and then i invited more and more and more and more negativity and eventually the negativity that I invited into my own life made me want to negate my own life because I was in such a dark place. If you do a thousand dark acts, you're going to feel a thousand points of darkness. If you are not doing those acts, then you're going to be okay with yourself. How could I be okay with myself if I was doing a bunch of things that aren't okay? It is not okay to disrespect people. It's not okay to drink alcohol and get obliterated, messed up. It's not okay to cheat. It's not okay to do all these things I was doing. And that drove me to the what I call the pit, which is a place where you consider killing yourself. That's what I was that's what I was feeling. And I was just, it was just running and hiding and denying and escapism and low energy behavior and negative talk. And it was just awful. But I pulled back from the brink and I'm very pleased that I did because you know, that's a very selfish act. I, I, I will say that, you know, had I taken that act, it's a very selfish act. So about how long ago was that? I was right before I got clean. The, the day I reached out to my coach is essentially the darkest day of my life. You know, that's when I realized that I need to stop. So it was 25 months ago. And when I reached out to him and he gave me the program to change my life around, I turned my life around. I, I haven't looked back since. 
know, and I, it's, it's a, this is a daily program, you know, it was a process that I had to come to terms with, you know, there were flashes of negativity throughout the process, but it's something that I really had to come to terms with and really work through. I said this today on my IG that, or was it, yeah, today that healing is a process. It's not a product. You don't go to the store and buy healing. Healing is something that you live. You wake up in the morning, Asia, I'm sure now you're like, I have to heal myself and other people today right? That's the healing mindset. And if tomorrow you or Monday you woke up and you thought, nah, I don't really want to do this process. Well, it's horrible. So healing is a process. And this is the process that I live. It's daily. It is daily. This is nothing other than a daily process of self-strengthening. Absolutely. And you know what? Even on the days when we don't feel like it, it's still like, it's now it's a lifestyle. So it's like, if I don't help the world what else is there for me to do today <laughs> those are those are the days that you have to go twice as hard yep. the days that you don't feel like it because what do we, you know what i feel i felt like doing i felt like using drugs eating a massive amount of food drinking and hooking up that's what i felt like doing when i did what i felt like that's what i did so now what i do is what i need to do for everyone that relies on me so f what i feel like that doesn't matter who feels like waking up at 4 a.m for a thousand days straight there's not a person on earth that feels like it but you're speaking with a man who does it because i said i would and because i need to show gratitude to the universe for my existence nobody feels like going out when i first got healthy i was living in a tiny apartment on the fifth floor and i would get up early and obviously i I'm not gonna be able to work out of my apartment because I would wake my downstairs neighbor. So instead I would go onto the freezing sidewalk and do calisthenics, push-ups and burpees and jumping jacks and stuff. Not once did I ever feel like going out in the New York sub-zero freezing winter, but I still did it because I had to. Like, we don't do what we feel like. Those days are over. You and I have lived enough days of doing what we feel like to last five lifetimes. I, can, I, I can't do that anymore. I don't feel like eating the things that I eat but I need to be strong, fit, and healthy. So I do what I need to instead of what I want to. The weak individual, the pained individual, the individual I was for 20 years, he only did what he wanted to. Now I don't do, I don't really, I don't even know what that is. Those desires, I don't really want that. Now the only thing I want is for people listening to not be in pain. That is literally my only desire is for you to not be in pain. All the other desires, I, I did it. I did it all, all the weird stuff, the, weird sex stuff that guys my age are obsessed with all that stuff all the drugs all the partying all that i ate, i ate at the finest restaurants in new york who give who none of that matters none of that matters the only thing that matters is the work and the work is the process of healing absolutely and you know what it's, it's not easy by far um so with this whole weight gain is that something that you struggle with like throughout your whole life or at what point did it become a problem it was laziness. That's all it was. A lot of people, you know, they grow up overweight. I never really liked the way I looked, but I, just because I never really cared. I never worked out. I was able to engage in activities with women and, and hooking up and I justified, you know, that was a big part of my my story that, I, oh, I can't do these things. So I would, it, maybe if someone spent the night with me, then I would consider myself valid. I was just external validation. You know, maybe if I could take this woman home from the club, then I would be thought of as cool. Maybe if I could have this hot girlfriend, maybe maybe my guys, my guy friends would like me. It was just garbage. So the weight thing was just me being lazy and not taking care of myself. It wasn't, a lot of people, they struggle with this. I only struggled from the way it made me feel. 
it's not like I was the obese kid. But towards the end of my using period, I had ballooned. I had ballooned. And if you look at my before picture, you'll see exactly how large and disgusting I was. And there's no one out there that can tell me otherwise that you don't, you don't feel the way you look. You feel exactly the way you look. And I felt like that. So I stressed with my clients that we have to get your food in control. All my clients get custom nutrition plans, cooking tips. I've got recipes and, and cooking videos all over my page and just breakdowns of everything they need. And once you get your eating in check, everything else falls into place. The man or woman, because I coach women as well, who tracks what they eat, eats clean and in accordance to a discipline based program is not going to be able to go drink and not going to be able to go to the club because you have to eat a certain way you have to wake up and train this is what the program does it's about discipline it's about mindset two things that i lacked completely when i was sick i did not have discipline and everything that came into my life was negative and that was my mindset and now that i have both i know what it takes and it's just adhering to a program that builds me eating correctly waking up and working out that's it people try to make it so complex and yeah we can talk about this i'll gladly talk to you about the spiritual stuff till the cows come home but at the end of the day it's our habits that define us we have habits of sneaking around behind our partner to do coke at the salon or in my case sneak around my partner to hook up with someone then we, those are our habits that define us if we have habits about being disciplined strong individuals who take care of our minds and bodies and look like it well then we're fine we don't, you don't have the ability to go drink. I, I wouldn't know how to do that. The idea of calling my dealer to come drop something off, he, he might as well ask me to walk to the moon. It's preposterous now. Yeah. It is preposterous. Absolutely. And you know what? <clears throat> oh, let me, it was something else that I wanted to ask you. So when it comes to, yeah, oh, let me back up. So I did look over your profile and you, you look amazing. Like I, I'm very proud of you great job um so do you think that you like started exercising first or did you change the way that you ate or was it kind of like at the same same time at the same time and there was a steep steep learning curve for both i had never tracked what i ate i never really cared about what i ate so i had to learn you know, this is the cool thing about this is that in teaching people this does two things it gets them it gets people sound mind and body but it also teaches them to learn like i never really had serious critical thinking skills that's something that you have to learn and there was a learning curve i had never worked out in my life so i had to learn well this is how you work your upper body this is how you work your lower body this is how you work your shoulders these exercises can be done at home then when i had access to a gym these exercises can be done at a gym so it's it's and all that was a massive learning curve and in order to learn you can't just read you actually have to do it so in buying a food scale, now these things are so rudimentary to me, but in buying a food scale, in turning the can of uh, canned tuna around and reading the macronutrient breakdown and using my fitness pal, which is a, the fitness app for uh, tracking what you eat and using Trainerize, which is the workout app. Like these are the things that you learn. So when you ask what we do, well, we do it all at once. And depending on how good our critical thinking skills were, mine were awful is going to dictate how it goes. It took me weeks for me to understand these things. It's taken some of my clients months, but that's what I'm here for, to say, no, dude, you have to weigh the rice before you cook it. If you weigh it after you cook it, it's going to have a lot of water in it. You're not going to be eating enough rice. Like these are the types of things that are involved. Or some of my clients, one of my clients, if you look, um, I actually have him pinned because his transformation was so savage. He came in already good at working out 
and he just wanted to get ripped. He's like, you know, I'm, he's pretty athletic shape. He looked runner or whatever volleyball player, but he wanted to get ripped. He'd never been ripped before. So I said, okay, I'm going to tailor you this eating program to get ripped. So for him, he just needed the eating program. He worked the program for a month and look at the results. Dude looks like a men's health cover model. So it, it all depends. I was a very weak client. I didn't really have anything going on. So I had to learn all of it at once. And I'm super thankful because that's made me a better teacher. Coming from a place where I was, most guys come into the program with at least some muscle. Maybe they were in the military. Maybe they played ball in high school. Maybe they just lifted recreationally on and off for five or 10 years. I didn't have any of that. So in being able to live it, that's when I talk about being the living example. I had to teach myself all of this stuff. I started with no muscle and a ton of fat. I started with a ton of resentments and no good things to say about myself. And now that I flipped it, that's what makes me so, that's why I enjoy this so much. F what I am good or not good at. That's what makes me enjoy this because I'm so empathetic to people that are in a really dark place physically and mentally. And you know what? So when it comes to like empathy is a must. Um, well, first of all, like the fact that you have the lived experience um, so that you know what people are going through, like that's, that's amazing um, because you can actually relate to where they are, what's going on in their minds um, and just the whole lifestyle that they're in right now. Um, it was something else. Okay, so with your fitness program, you want to tell everybody about that and how they can get in contact with you, website information or whatever you would like people to know? Absolutely. I'm on IG at NYC Foodways. That's N-Y-C-F-O-O-D-W-A-Y-S. And I've got a couple programs. One is a group coaching program. This is like a mid-level program for people that want to get their minds and body right. And then I also have an elite program. This is one-on-one -on -one coaching folks that want to connect with me directly and get my cell number. And we work on higher level things. These are folks who are a bit more evolved on their path that are interested in implementing higher level things, you know, business coaching and content coaching. A lot of folks reach out to me because I create so much content about, hey, how how do I become good online? And that's part of my elite one-on-one co -on -one coaching package as well. And both folks, both groups get custom nutrition, custom workouts, and we just get you where you need to be. There's not a man alive, and I will speak about men right now. There's not a man alive that would not want to have a six pack. And if you say you don't want one, you're lying. You know who else was lying? Yours truly. I used to tell myself and others that I did not have the genetics for a six pack. So I was so ungrateful that I would actually blame my ancestors for the reason that I didn't have what I wanted. That's the level that I was at. Anyone can get a six pack. Your boy was 100, 193 pounds with no muscle. I was probably 35 or 40% body fat on the verge between overweight and obese with no muscle. And I got ripped. You can do it. You used to play soccer. You shot hoops in high school. You were in the National Guard for three years. You're just naturally have muscle. I know the average dude comes in in much better shape. And I'm talking about underneath the fat. So all we have to do is get the nutrition dialed. You have to hit your workout every day or as many days as you can. So everyone listening, don't trip and think that, you know, I'm gonna drill sergeant you. If you can only work four or five days out of the week, okay, great, we'll work around that. And then you just drop the weight your mind changes and your people are going to react to you so much better. And that's where the healing is. Once you change, your people are going to start to react to you better. And there's nothing better than that. Okay. Um, and so what else do you have going on these days? Oh, I've got a bunch of things cooking. My main passion for a long time has been food rescue. 
Um, and in my last position, the, the tech firm, I set up a food, a citywide food rescue program. We were feeding thousands of people a week. That program has tapered off just because of some company acquisitions, but I, I'm highly active. I do food rescue almost every day of the week, either coordinating remotely or actually in person doing food rescue. That's my main passion. The way we interact with the food system is totally broken. New York City has a population of over a million that went hungry last year. This country wastes more than a third of all food grown. You do the math. So I'm on the front lines fighting that battle. Um, I also am the director of operations at a local food company. This is not a volunteer position. This is what I do often during the week. I'm also a proponent not only of saving food locally, but of supporting local farms and local farmers. So I work for a local food company that sells uh, food made by local farmers and local farmers. So I do that and I'm an independent project manager as well. So I have a lot going on. I'm actually executing, there's a, uh, neighbors of my folks, their mother passed on recently, may she rest in peace, and they contracted me to clear out her estate, you know, in a, in a timely manner. So I have a million things going on every day. This is why I get up at 4am. And it isn't even about having enough time. It's about showing gratitude. Gratitude is action. The reason I'm involved in all of these things is because I need to show gratitude for my life by taking action every day. You know what, and that's, that's great. That's, that's factual. You are super busy. Um, so is it since you've like become like more healthy that is that what sparked your interest in food? I was always into it from a conceptual standpoint. And then after graduating, I did a number of I worked on a bunch of farms and learned about what it takes to grow food. And in doing that, I became grateful for what it takes to grow food. And even back then, when I was still sick and just unpleasant, I was working on food rescue. I've set up a food rescue program at every job I've had since 2009. So it's something that I've been close to, but the scale of it, the capacity of it was very limited because I didn't, it's love. Food rescue is love. When we love food and we rescue food and we distribute food, that's love for ourselves and the earth. But I didn't love myself that well. So I went from rescuing bags of food to the project I just described. Uh, I hope that answers the question. And it's the best way for me to move forward with a clean mind. I can't know that food is being wasted and not act to save it. You know, absolutely. And like I mentioned a little while, or like a little while ago, um, so I take a sociology class, right? And it was a, a section where we read on like food and it's in some areas people are going through the like trash cans and stuff like that that we are wasting on an everyday basis and washing the food off to consume and when I say that just broke my heart like just reading that I'm like that's insane and like you said we're not showing enough gratitude in our everyday everyday lives like we're throwing away bags of food and bags of this and, and just all types of things and people are going through the trash and getting those scraps and washing them off and are grateful and happy for you know for that and it's just like we're so fortunate to not be in that position many of us are absolutely wasting food is wasting life i run a zero waste program we don't waste food we don't waste our lives we don't get wasted we don't waste our time we don't waste our spirit we don't waste our energy we don't waste any part of our lives that that's that's it. The person who gets wasted is likely wasting a lot of other things, time, money, love, resources, food. When I encounter an extraordinarily large person who has likely never been hungry in their life, they are also extremely wasteful with their food. I've noticed that extraordinarily large people, despite the fact that they consume a lot of food, 
are always waste, almost always wasting food as well. They're using food as a, a tool to heal something inside and are also extremely wasteful. So it, it's, it's pretty damaging, but that's a big part of my program, both the rescue part, which is something I do, and I've actually helped folks set up rescue pro projects um, outside of New York, and then just food as a part of my coaching program to get people to get back in control. If you control what you eat and how you eat and when you eat and why you eat, you'll get control of your drug habit too, period. Absolutely. And you know what? So one thing I've noticed too, because I've shed some weight over the years, like I've gained a lot of weight and I know it had a lot to do with like my alcohol intake and just not really caring. Like I would go a couple of days without eating and then like stuff my face and, and then drink a bunch of alcohol, you know? And so like now that I've stepped away from that lifestyle and stepped away from um, the alcohol and stuff like that and now I'm taking vitamins and stuff the weight is just coming off naturally and now since I'm thinner like I feel a lot better like I'm more productive I don't, I don't have a hard time getting up in the morning you know and like um getting my day going and I don't I don't mind being on my feet and stuff like that so that makes a great difference it is something that I wanted to ask you so you spoke about um fairly larger people that waste stuff all the time um, or waste, you know, waste food. Do you think that it's like a defense mechanism or because they are um, already subconscious about their weight? That's an interesting question. I found that the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. So we are, if we are very consumptive in some way, if we are taking and taking and taking, we are likely wasting as well because it's not possible to just, something is gonna slip through our arms. And I found this, routinely in my life that there is a lot of waste in taking. If you look at a, like a backhoe or some earth digger that digs in to the earth and takes this massive scoop, some is going to fall out. It's just the nature of the beast. This person is likely getting wasted. They, not all extraordinarily large people are getting wasted, but a lot of the people that I know, they like to party. You know, they're bon vivants. They live big, you know, they eat big, they drink big. And I'm not just talking about morbidly obese people i'm just talking about very large people you know the, the big guy he's always a beer in his hand and a laugh in his in you know he's always joking and the bon vivant he lives big and these people waste they drive car big cars that are extremely wasteful like th that's what i speak of and i i don't know about the subconscious connection but there is some connect i mean the way we do one thing is the way we do everything and if you're massively consuming all of these things then some of it's going to be wasted that makes perfect sense um so I got another question for you. Looking at where you are now and where you've come from, if you could go back and change one thing in your entire life, what would it be? Nothing. I needed it all. I needed it all. I don't even think about that. I can't. Doing that is the, the peak of ingratitude. Wishing to change the past or asking for is that is actually what holds most people back that's what held me back is a constant yearning for things to have been different Absolutely. I, I can't i can't enter that space i have no idea then i wouldn't be me absolutely and you know what another thing that people have a, a really hard time with is embracing every single detail or every single like ingredient that comes with their past and it's, it's all a living experience it all like every single ingredient <clears throat> um makes up us as to who we are 
And like you said, it's a lack of gratitude to try to change things that you obviously can't change because no one can go back and change things in the past. The only thing I can do is use all those as building blocks to build this solid foundation as to who I'm going to be in the future. Um, so that was great. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. It's the truth. People that are, are concerned about the past, they use it as a cop out. I hear it all the time. They use it as a cop out as to why they can't hack today because this thing happened to them before. That's nonsense. If anything, it's the other way around. This thing happened to you before, so you could act today in opposition to it. And then after you've healed yourself, you can show the world, hey, this thing that happened to me before doesn't define me. It's the time that I've spent since then being positive that I would define myself by. And that's how I define myself. I just laugh at that old fat dude. I laugh at that womanizer. That dude is a clown. Yeah. That dude is a clown. I'm, I'm not going to curse on here, but that dude, has, I could curse very eloquently about that child. And th this man chooses not to do that. I love that guy because he made me this guy. Without that guy, I'd just be a normal person. That dude allowed me to do this, this right now. Absolutely. Kind of, you know what, and like you said, I've, I've looked back and laughed at myself so many times because I'm like, what was I thinking? I don't necessarily regret anything from my past because it's like you live and you learn, right? And so it's like, if I hadn't made those decisions, I wouldn't have like so much spice to be today. Like, you know, I wouldn't have these different lived experiences. I wouldn't be able to relate to those that I'm helping. I wouldn't have anything interesting about me, like, you know? And so for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the bumps, the bruises, the lumps. Every experience that I've had, whether good or bad, it still equals out to be something great because now I can, like you said, I don't, I'm thankful for that person, but I'm also just gra just grateful that I'm not that person anymore. And so Absolutely. that makes a great difference. Um, this is what I wanted to ask you. So in the, like between the transition your old self and who you're who who you transformed into at what point what was it that made you like open up and start talking about you know your story and sharing your life with other people i had to reach a point of healing i had to have real results on my path like i had to lose a lot of weight i had to shed a lot of karmic debt and i had to start telling myself a different story one of overcoming if you talk about negativity it just seems like a sob story but if you look feel sound act think speak differently then you're gonna have the confidence to speak on negatively on your past so it was some months into it that i decided and then about this time last year is when I started coaching people. And since then, I've just, the book has flown open. Then I love to talk about this, but I started posting and I haven't missed a day posting. I post every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Uh, I started posting, gosh, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And in posting, I was more open about telling my story. But it's evolved and I've become more open and more open. The more you shed, the more you realize there is to shed. The path never ends unless you choose to end. No state is permanent except for the state of death. And that's the state that I'm here to stop you from entering. So yeah, after I had some real appreciable results in the change space, then I was comfortable sharing the change. That's amazing. That is amazing. Um, so how did you end up finding your way into the, the coaching? I realized I had something to share with the world, you know, to the man or woman that knows how to heal anxiety and depression and obesity that doesn't share it is probably the most selfish individual around, maybe more selfish individual than the one that was initially sick. If I have the answers for some of life's toughest questions, how could I not share it with others? 
how selfish would I be if I just, that's like the rich person that dresses super humble, drives a low car and doesn't teach anyone on how to make money. It's extremely selfish. I don't have, this isn't my knowledge. This is universal wisdom. This is, this is from the divine. Like I'm just a vessel for it. And for me to keep that in is the epitome of selfishness. I won't do that. That's why I started coaching because everyone needs to hear the message. It's universal. I've coached people outside of the US. I've coached people on the West Coast. I want to start, everyone I've coached thus far in English is their uh, native language. That's a goal for me is to coach someone who speaks a different language um, than English. But you know, this is universal. They aren't even my truths. This is just wisdom. The 10 commandments say, thou shalt not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not kill. Like, hello, these are 6,000 year old laws. Like, do I really, am I really bringing anything new to the table? No, I've just adapted them understand how to get past anxiety, understand how to get past depression. The ancient Israelites were not dealing with obesity because they ate only what they needed, probably less than that. You know, they were sacrificing their food food for wisdom. So that's how I got into coaching because once you become abundant enough and have enough love, then you need to share that love with others. And that's, that's what I need to do. Now, so for anyone that is suffering from obesity or, or overeating, what advice would you give them? Find a coach that has proven results in the field. Do not listen to any doctor. Do not listen to any dietitian. Do not listen to anyone that does not have proven results in the field for themselves and others. Ask this person, how do I stop from overeating? What is the structure I need to adhere to to no longer hate myself, my life, and my body by changing? And that person will provide you with a customized blueprint in order to change your life starting with what you eat that's real good thank you um i got another one so in five words or less how would you want the world to remember you Hmm. i don't need i'm not about that the world does not remember me at all i mean i'd like i don't really care about any of that i'm not really sure or five is it okay loved you know if you you want to ask me ask me how i want to die the answer is loved that's good that's good enough for me the world i've had enough of the world I, i don't really care about the world i'm more interested in how will i be remembered by the people that have interacted with me and i hope that is as a man who said something and did it absolutely yeah i was i was meaning the people that like whose lives you impacted reliable reliable consistent, dependable, trustworthy, honest, strong, everything a man should be, reliable, consistent, honest, trustworthy, strong, showing up, dependable, following through, always doing it no matter what, putting others first, being just there, being physically, mentally, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually there, being loving, being capable of being loved. That's how I want to be remembered by the people I know. The world can sit and spin because the world never gave me anything. <laughs> the world never gave me anything other than yeah. an anxiety disorder and massive issues with just everything. So I don't, yeah. I, I'm, I wasn't laughing at you. I've, I've never heard that sit and spin. That was, that tickled me a little bit. Um, it was something else I was going to ask you. So, oh, so when you first got into working out and like um, dealing with, you know, healthy eating and stuff like that, I know that was a really hard thing to transition from. Like you're always into being more healthy um, because for one, we have to find a lane and 
like you know really become like really disciplined are there some days when you would quit and if so how did you get back in into it and become like dedicated so it actually wasn't that hard because i was scared straight of being suicidal and hating my life so a lot of people need to reach a particular place of darkness in order to be committed to the light i was one of those people now in terms of you know days off i haven't skipped a workout in a thousand days which is great and with the diet you know i've occasionally had some diet breaks and whatnot and it's not all pain it's not all struggle you lose weight to get to a certain form then you gain weight to add muscle and then you lose weight there's a you know there's a process to it but yeah when i'm around family i'll eat stuff that i'm not tracking you know occasionally i'll go out and eat something this is not a program of complete starvation but there are decisions to be made it's like i always tell my clients do you want the cheeseburger or do you want to not hate yourself? Like if you're so weak that you can't say no to people that are trying to bring you back to a place of negativity, then you're gonna fail in life. Like this is what I tell people. People put people put other people's desires of them that will bring them pain before their own self-worth. Like this is how, how nutty people are. It's the holidays. Okay, great. So your whole family is obese. Guess it's time for you to just crack and go back to being, eating like an obese person. Like people are, People are psychotic in, they, in that they believe that other people's low state should justify their own actions towards that. Why on earth would you want to act weak? It's actually better for other people to be pulling you towards overeating or negativity or drinking or smoking because in being a living example against that, you're actually proving them wrong. You're showing them that you are strong in your restraint against that. So yeah, I mean, I've had some times when I've overeaten, but just get back to it. No, they're not super frequent. When you're a disciplined individual, you separate your wants from your needs. So there's a Jewish holiday that just passed called Passover. And I'm in good shape. I know what I'm eating. So that day I did not eat much for breakfast. And I went to my parents' house and I had some potatoes and I had some beef and it was pretty chill. But did I track exactly what I'm eating? Of course not, because it's a holiday. But you have to earn that. I'm gonna post something next week you have to earn the right to go out to eat. You have to earn that right. And for people who've been living real loose and have the body to show for it, you haven't earned that. So stop acting as if you've earned it. People act like they've earned these things and they haven't earned anything. They're always looking for ways out and days off and breaks and whatnot. I don't play that. Yeah, yeah you definitely gotta be self-disciplined and really, like you said, make decisions um, based on you know how bad do you want it like how bad do you and not just with like weight just in any area where we want to you know um better ourselves like you have to be disciplined in the choices that you make and not only that but say if you do have um you know hit rough patches where you tend to um you know get frustrated or backslide or whatever like the matter of still keep going still keep going because you know some people will um, get discouraged they might slip up one time and get discouraged and just quit due to that but it's just a matter of like perseverance absolutely and it's about accepting you know the really weak individual can make a mistake and just decide that it's over the strong individual will make an error like i almost want mistakes because a mistake is a lesson we don't take losses on this side we learn lessons right so when i commit an error or make a mistake which is essentially at this point me losing my temper it's something I'm, I'm still working on and i learn a lesson in that aspect by losing my temper 
I'm immediately contrite. I apologize and I work to better myself. And I learned to accept that. Like there's things I made, content I made that I don't love, that I don't look particularly handsome or whatever it is. But I, I can only say that because I pulled myself away from it. You accept what you've done and move on. If we're constantly accepting what we're doing, then we don't try for perfectionism. You know, perfectionism is not found on earth. We have to just progress in our behaviors, progress in our state to accept what we're doing so yeah make a mistake if you don't accept it as soon as possible you're gonna live there forever and just decide that being solid isn't good isn't for you yep and that's when the the shame and the guilt and all that you know all these other little things come to settle in and then that ultimately builds this wedge which drives us between you know it drives between us and what we're trying to do and then we lose sight of what we're trying to do or like you said people decide oh this isn't for me or you know I don't want to do this um because a lot of people don't want to do what's uncomfortable they want to stay in good you know good you know what my coach told me and this my coach told me that the world needs fat losers too and when I was a fat loser I was a great example for everyone choosing to win it's brutal that's the message I needed to hear I needed to hear that message he told me the world needs fat losers too and that shocked me to the core I couldn't believe someone was so honest, but it's true. People on this side that are choosing to win and not use substances and to show up for their family, we are only able to do that because so many people choose to lose every day. When you choose to lose every day, you are in opposition to the man or woman who has chosen to win every day. So if I went back to overeating, sleeping around and hating myself, I would immediately fall into the pile of people who are losing by choice. And just because you are a loser by choice, it doesn't mean you can't be a winner by choice. But the world needs losers too. If everyone was winning, there would be no winners. It would just be what everyone is doing. At this point in time, if we're going to speak honestly, the world needs losers too. So choose to win on this side with us or choose to lose and be in pain with everyone else. That's so true. And you know what? Like you said, if everybody was winning, oh my goodness, there (laughs) there wouldn't be any losers. And oh my goodness. Another thing too is like, so like one thing that I've found, one of the main components you need when when healing is you have to be brutally honest with yourself. You have to be authentic. You have to be real. You have to talk about the things that nobody likes to talk about and pretty much go against everything that we have been taught our whole lives. You know, you got to be real raw and uncut because it's like, like we spoke about earlier on the show, you have to start within self. And if you can't be honest with yourself, then if I can't be honest about me and with me, like I can't, I for sure cannot be honest with you or anyone else for that matter. And it's like, if I'm not being honest, then what good am I? That's, that's no way I can't lead anybody or even help anybody get to the root of their problems. If I'm trying to deflect my truth. Thank you. That's real. Yeah. So, okay. This is the last question. We're going to wrap it up. Um, so where do you see yourself going or what, what do you have in mind as far as what, what ultimate goal are you pushing for? So I do my best to stay away from goals. I focus on systems. Okay. Go- goals are very dangerous. When people set goals for themselves, it's actually limiting. Because after you hit the goal, you either celebrate and F your life up or you feel listless. What am I doing? I, I hit my goal, I feel empty. So what I do is I set up a system that brings me strength every day. I adhere to that system and I let the world blossom. I never thought I would be able to purchase a home in lower Manhattan. I did so not long ago. If I, I, My goal starting out, Asia, was just to not want to kill myself. So if my goal was to just do that, and I set a goal and that was it, 
discipline, I would have stopped and I still would have been kind of in a low position. But I have a system that I adhere to. I work it every day and I let come what may. The positions, the various, I hate the word job, the various economic streams that I have that I'm engaged in have literally found me. After you become successful, success finds you. You don't have to find success. Folks listening, if you're struggling with any part of your life, it's because you aren't successful inside. You have to master yourself through a system and then all the other stuff comes to you. Everything that you see on camera, including myself, is coming from being successful in a system. So I don't have a particular goal, but I wanna continue living this program and continue living this system and I'll see what happens. Who knows? Maybe I'll be, who knows? I don't even wanna put words to it because I'm so cap, right now, whatever I can perceive as my highest power, my goal, is going to be obliterated when I get stronger. Before I was very limited. Okay, John, if you can just make it through the day with, without wanting to kill yourself, you've reached your goal. That's that's just baseline. I mean, I've had so many things that I've transcended. So I'm going to keep pushing on this, connecting with people like you and seeing where life takes me. I appreciate that. Um, and so one more time, if you want to give a rundown of like your social media platforms in case people would like to reach out, um, and whatever, inf what other, I'm sorry, whatever other information that you would like people to leave people with, um, how to connect with you or whatever it is, whatever your heart desires, um, that'll be great. Yep. I'll run down my IG again. That's where most people find me. It's at NYC foodways. That's at NYC F O O D W A Y S. And the change is waiting. You just have to reach out. Okay. Thank you so much for that information. Um, and furthermore, like, thank you for, um, you know, just what it, everything that you're doing because you are, like, you've got your hands full over there, but you're handling it well. And thank you. Thank you for the positive changes that you're making and also um, in the ways that you're impacting other people's lives. I know it's not easy and it's an actual lifestyle and it takes a lot to be dedicated to it. So thank you so much um, for all the work that you do, for everything that you do, um, not just on behalf of the podcast, but like, in your everyday life and those people that are needing people like you um, because it's very necessary. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and thank you for providing us living in this space with a platform to truly express ourselves. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you everyone that tuned in. Um, you can reach out to be a, a guest on the podcast at info.greatergrowthllc at gmail.com Also, please head over to the t-shirt and hoodie um store and support us there at www.greatergrowthllc.com thank you so much and until next time